The podcast is brought to you by e-commerce fuel capital, bringing world-class expertise to your business. There's a lot of places you can get money to help you grow. Uh, but I would argue very few places you're going to find the depth of experience and in the trenches expertise with e-commerce from the likes of Drew Sanaki, Bill D'Alessandro, Cody Sanchez, Steve True, Ed Hallen, who's the co-founder of Clavio, and many more with ECF Capital. So if you're looking for an incredible team in your corner that can give you way more than just money, uh, start a conversation with us at capital.ecommercefuel.com. And then also a huge, huge thank you to Clavio, powering over 30,000 merchants, wildly profitable email marketing campaigns. And they're doing something really cool for uh, these crazy times we're in right now. They're doing a daily COVID survey on everything from revenue trends to uh, you know, to how much consumers are spending, to confidence, to marketing. Uh, and if you participate, even just once, uh, they'll send you a daily email with all of the up-to-date uh, current information they're seeing from all their customers. And so you can do that. Uh, participate in the survey at clavio.com and just look in the bottom right-hand corner to be a part of that study. Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure cluster owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm Andrew Darian, and today, man, we're probably three or four weeks in here on uh, doing episodes, just try to be as timely as possible, bring you, um, yeah, what's going on out there uh, in the e-commerce world uh, amid all the, the COVID-19 craziness. And today, bringing on Taylor Holiday, who's the managing partner and founder of Common Thread Collective, uh, a leading paid traffic and growth agency to talk about what's going on in paid traffic. You know, uh, there's you know, what's going on in e-commerce in general, but also specifically in paid traffic. Is it a good time to advertise? Is it a bad time to spend money? Um, what we are seeing and what he's seeing, especially with some of his clients out there uh, in the world, and hopefully uh, can give you a sense of how to wade profitably uh, into the waters, even when it's a little bit scary. So, uh, Mr. Taylor, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, buddy. It's good to good to be back on here and chatting despite the chaos around us. I hope I come with a little bit of a some good news and a bright spot for you. I think so. I think the biggest piece of bright news that you need to lead with is uh, Fierce Fridays. What are these Fierce Friday <laughs> things that like? Fierce. I just hear all these team rumors, uh, people on your team talking about it like it's the best thing in the world. And I tell us about this. Well, yeah. So slightly delusional. It's funny. I just posted this. We're sitting here. It's actually Thursday, but. Um, in the, in the reality that we are in this blended uh, life or deciphering days in the week is difficult. It's actually our last day of the week because we have tomorrow, Good Friday, off. So we had our all-company meeting, so I posted a picture of all of us of a Fierce Friday, which is normally what we call our all-together Friday meetings. And we all had – this week was Tiger King themed, so we all had great backdrop images from, um, of course, the Netflix special Tiger King. Um, but then I posted on Twitter and someone was like, isn't it Thursday? And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> I, I mean, between the, the tweet that you shared and some of the zoom backdrops that I have seen, including one in a poker game we were playing in last night, some of the, the tiger King, uh, memes, uh, have, have been pretty good. So yeah, um, it's out there. Yeah, you guys did a good job with your team there. Uh, I got to say, man, that congrats like to you and uh, the the CTC team, yourself, Aaron. Uh, you guys are publishing a lot of really awesome data uh, that's up to date, that's interesting on this stuff. A lot of which, which we'll reference in in the podcast. So thank you for doing that. I'll link up to a lot of their articles in the show notes. So I want to start with, you know, we about two weeks ago we kind of talked, compared notes, and um, shared some of this on an earlier podcast. But it looked like based on a fairly safe to say, based on a couple different data points, top line revenue two weeks ago in late March, this is being recorded April 9th, 
uh, was down about 10% ish industry wide. Where do you, where do you see us now based on what you can see? And you're pulling from, I know you do this too. You kind of, uh, very, uh, very wisely warn about, uh, extrapolating too much from a couple of anecdotes, but you've got your own group of, uh, of clients that you can pull from. You look at other data sets. So all, everything you're seeing, where are we in terms of top line revenue growth or decline, uh, April 9th relative to norms? Yeah, so I love to always try to contextualize what I'm sharing because I there's a whole sample population issue here when we, anytime we deal with data. Um, so what I'm sharing is certainly a sample of what is a much larger e-commerce population. Uh, we have visibility into about 600 million in GMV. So just basically think of it as top line transactional revenue in the e-com space all in what we call small business, so zero to $30 million e-commerce uh, businesses. So this is all stuff that people are, this is not inclusive of Amazon revenue or any retail. This is all revenue that's being driven through dot-com businesses with no single business making up a sample size or more than 5% of the population. So that's the thing I like about it is that it's diverse across a lot of different businesses. So you're not experiencing any swings around one major client. It's one of the benefits of sort of working in a specific subset of the of business size. So 600 million, no business, more than 5% of the population. So it comes down to somewhere between 10 to 12 million in revenue week every week that we're looking at in March, which come holiday obviously gets bigger. So that's where you get to that number. Um, and what you mentioned is true. When, when we started really tracking this, which is March 9th was the date that we sort of went um, into this sort of COVID analysis mode where we began comparing everything. Actually, excuse me, March 8th onward is where we started benchmarking pre and post um, comparisons. And what you described is exactly right. Coming out the week of really the 15th, uh, we saw this decline um, week over week. You and I traded some notes about some geographic city location data I was looking at and other things. But since that point, man, it has been a pretty wild rally for e-com in a way that has been incredibly impressive that I'm almost constantly trying to poke holes in. Um, all the way through to this last seven days, last seven days over the previous seven, up almost 15% in top line revenue across that same portfolio. Um, so really strong performance from a ton of different sectors for us, um, on a top line basis. So when you say up 15%, is that up 15% from two weeks ago when we were down? So maybe slightly above normal or. So last seven over previous seven up 15%, that's like, if you go back the week over week up 6% from that week. So I have a trend line graph that I can share with you that I can put in the show notes, um, that runs from March 9th. To, to today through April 7th um, is the most recent date of our data. Um, so that is a trend line that is up and to the right. Um, so from those days, we've seen uh, a growth period across the entire revenue set. So it's really been um, incredibly strong and for, for most of our clientele. It's really impressive. Yeah. And what have you seen too? You mentioned some of the geographic stuff. You were looking uh, at some interesting geographies. How e-commerce was yeah. was related to the cities in terms of obviously New York's probably the well, it is the the worst heart worst hit city yeah. in the U.S. What are you seeing with with trends there? Because on one hand, New York it seemed like it got hit hard, but on the other hand, you could think you can make the argument if anyone's going to be ordering stuff online right now, it's going to be New Yorkers. So how did you? What, what kind of insights did you see geographically? Yeah, so same thing. I, so really, ever since I've seen things up, and it's been such a sort of contradiction with the the, the nationwide narrative, which is large scale macroeconomic struggles, um, and obviously the the fear related to the disease itself um, was really incongruent with the data. So I've been trying to find a reason 
for why the data is going to reverse course and become really negative. And so one of the theories that we began working on was that we were essentially not experiencing the effects homogeneously. Um, so in other words, in different cities, they were obviously being impacted more dramatically. And so perhaps as the disease continued to affect more people in a given area, maybe that would have a more dramatic effect on revenue. So we broke apart. We actually went through this whole process of breaking apart every city, the infection count per capita per city, as well as then comparing that to revenue growth um, online in those cities. And initially, when we first did the research, it sort of gave us a glimmer that that may be the case. And that's when you and I spoke and we saw New York was down dramatically relative to other large metropolises. Um, but since then, man, New York has rallied in an incredible way. Like it has come back incredibly strong, despite this being quote unquote peak week um, in New York City and a lot of unfortunate health related matters there. The spending in New York has come back incredibly strong. So that whole theory has sort of been debunked for us as there's we can no longer draw sort of any relationship between um, the number of infections or cases or deaths or anything in revenue. Interesting. How, you know, if... Obviously, some of the essentials, if your online shopping is up, you know, just, just through the roof, exploded. Uh, people are at home, so they're going to be ordering more of the essentials and things at home. But you also have so much fear where people would and people losing income. Yeah. So, so you could see, but but you don't, the, the metrics you're tracking when you're seeing the strength, it's it doesn't have grocery. I'm guessing you don't have Kroger no, as one of your customers, right? Like, so yeah, how, how, yeah, so how is this, like, what is it, do you just, do you think it's a subset of your uh, your client or your uh, your clients that just sell to a more aff affluent customer that has more disposable income and isn't as worried, yeah. or they sell more essential items, or how do you explain like in what is the biggest economic shock in you know decades? Uh, yeah. How do you explain the strength that you're seeing given what you know is actually out in the world, or at least what we think is out there? Yeah. So this is where I want to just begin to caveat that when I think about trying to answer the question of why or to prognosticate around macroeconomic behaviors, I would just hold very loosely anybody's ability to answer this question. I can tell you what I can see. There's this Daniel Kahneman, who's the author. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He has this principle that he calls what you see is all there is. Um, and we should avoid the like deep human desire to build a connection to a story about why without information for it. Um, so what I can tell you is what I am seeing. The why I have theories on, and I'll share one with you that I think I'm excited to see uh, how it bears out in the coming weeks. But but just that's the giant caveat that I think this is a really hard question to answer. But what I am seeing is that categorically. So we have done a lot of work because I think categorical data is maybe the most dangerous data that we share um, in this industry. And I think we have to be really careful as a collective sort of I'm speaking now on behalf of the D2C community or the e-commerce community here, because one, what do we mean when we say health and wellness? What do we mean when we say household goods? Like it's really hard to define what goes into those categories. And then two, I just shared with you that my entire portfolio size is already at risk of being too small of a sample. Now you start cutting that up into subsets and you're dealing with really small sample size. So we just, we actually just went through a process of aggregating every categorical uh, piece of data that's been put out by Clavio, Adobe, Stackline, Ship Hero, ShipBob, and published the comparisons across all of them. And the contradictions are crazy. Like one report will have a category up 70%. The next one will have it down 40%. One will have it up 500%. The other will have it up 5%. Like it's all over the map and you can see that on our website. 
And then we did some work to normalize it. So we averaged them all together, weighted by anybody who published the volume of their data, which I really wish people would do. They'd publish it so that we could try and apply appropriate weights to it. Um, and so we have a graph there that shows the aggregate of all the published data across the industry. Um, and it follows some of the things that you'd expect that start to make more sense. Bags and travel accessories are down the most. Um, baby products, medical and household cleaning are up the most. So there's some logic there. But you like it, electronics are up, beauty and care is up, toys and games are up, work from home is up. Like there's still a lot of categories that are having a tremendous amount of success that are not just hand sanitizer and masks. Yeah, I, I think we were talking about this earlier before we got on as well. Is is that it's I think it's important to note that these are averages, and that yes. the the one thing I saw in when I dug into our community data, which again shared earlier, is is just an average doesn't tell the full story. I mean, if you have, no. if half your people are down 50% and half your people are up 50%, it looks flat, but it's at anything totally. but, right? And so like- Well, that's, yeah, any measure of central tendency like that. This is, and this is even a great lesson in us as, as e-com owners, like why AOV is actually such a terrible metric often. Um, it's because, you know, for that exact reason, at Kalo, as an example, when we, when we ran that business, there were two cohorts of purchasers. There was people who bought one ring and there were people that bought two rings. And so all of our purchases were either $20 or $40. And so our AOV was 30, but no one ever actually bought anything for $30. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that exact example. When we look at this, when I, when we average these things, that's just like, man, we're trying to bring some normalcy to data that's all over the map. Um, but it, it does come with major, major limitations without understanding the actual sample and what's included and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, let's get into actual lay the land with advertising. You know, paid traffic, especially with with Facebook in particular, and maybe Google as well. If uh, yeah. if uh, if potentially it makes sense to talk about that. So, seems like right now there's a lot of competing forces, right? Like, and again, we're uh, you know this better than I do, so correct me if I'm getting some of these generalizations wrong. But you know, CPMs are down due to you know so. CTMs, you know, cost per thousand due to down are down due to, you know, there's fewer people advertising and a lot more people searching. So uh, online right now, so yeah. there's more inventory. Uh, conversion rates seem down dramatically to the economy. Um, but I also, you know, I've seen reports of, you know, so those are kind of two op- opposing forces there and, and seen reports that yeah. the cost per acquisition actually is going up because of those. But, but what are you seeing? Like, I've heard people say like, this is one of the best times to be to be, you know, going on offense and advertising right now, uh, yep. given the fact that the, it's it's so cheap to get in front of eyeballs, but given the fact so f- that a lot of people are more hesitant to buy, what do you think? Is it actually a good time to be buying traffic? And maybe a more nuanced, better question, which I'm sure is going to be your answer, is like, who is it best for right now? Yeah. So obviously, you just asked the Facebook advertising agency owner if my business <laughs> totally unbiased, it, right? <laughs> so, so I'm I'm aware of this, right? Like I'm aware of the idea that everybody's now going to go, well, Taylor, you have such an incentive to answer this a certain way. So this is where I want to take off my agency hat and let you know that we also own and operate four of our own brands. Well, we have to make this decision with our own money alongside you. So like I I empathize with the idea that I have an incentive to answer this one way. So I. Again, what you see is all there is. I'm going to give you the, the raw data of what I have and what I believe about it. Um, you will have to apply it to your specific situation. As of April 7th, so from that March 8th date to April 7th, this is if you compare those period over period, so comparing March 8th through now April 7th, which is functionally a month against the previous month, um, revenue from Facebook, so this is Facebook attributed revenue, obviously included in the Facebook family, Facebook, Instagram, revenue up 56%. Spend up 20%, ROAS up 30%, CPM down 13%, 
CPC down 20%, CTR up 8%. And in the last... So, so there was... So like, sorry, sorry, so that, to, like, sorry to yeah. Taylor. There was a lot there. So can, yes. you, can you just go through that one more time? With yes, one at a time. For people that are as you know, slow, you know, slow as me, potentially. Totally. So revenue, just how much money is created and attributed to Facebook, up 60%. So that's a big number to just raw revenue generated, gross revenue generated through Facebook. Spend, and this is for your portfolio companies, is, right? Yep. So this is about, yeah, this is about a $50 million annual spend rate. So now we're talking about how much money being spent on Facebook. Spend, so how much money we are spending on behalf of our clients, up 20%. So they're scaling the spend as the revenue is growing. But there's a delta there, obviously, which means not only are we spending more, but it's more efficient. So our ROAS is up almost 30%. The reason being, the price of the inventory, the CPM, is down about 14%. CPC, so the cost of the traffic, down about 20%. And then the click-through rate, the engagement on the ads, up about 8%. So that is a combination of sort of what does lay out as like magic advertising combinations, price of the inventory down. And in our data, the conversion rate off of the traffic actually up. Now, what I want to say is over the last seven days in particular, in April, we have seen a massive increase in performance. And we have seen some businesses do this in very creative ways. We have seen t-shirt brands pivot to selling face masks. We have seen fitness apparel brands run campaigns where they are partnering where every day part of their revenue goes back to benefit a local gym. So there's people partnering to support their communities. We have seen a client like Igloo Coolers decide to give away 100% of their profit to the CDC uh, Charity Foundation for a week at a time. Um, all sorts of different tactics that are not just about discounts and promotions to help drive that engagement, which is why I think that this actually is a very big opportunity is because the CPM, the ad inventory price, is a macro market um, price that you do not control. You do not get to determine the Facebook CPM, but you do have the ability to affect your individual conversion rate by being creative in your marketing. Um, and so when you have a depressed price of ad inventory, if you can work hard to create reasons for your customer to buy right now to improve your conversion rate, that's where the arbitrage happens. That's where there's opportunity to really win in this environment. And we have seen it happen. It's not just the face mask people. We have one of our clients that you know well was one of the speakers here uh, at, at ECF, Patrick Cadu, who sells an expensive men's razor, high-end men's razor that just had his best month of his entire brand's life. Like, and, and there's no logical, re that's not an essential product by any means, like, but he is finding ways to be creative about messaging the moment that's been really impactful. Can, can you share, Dick, I think it's just interesting how he actually did that. Like what was yeah. the, the campaign that he, how, how, cause really it's, he didn't change the pricing. Nope. Well, I'll let you explain. Well, what did he do to, to position it for the market now that, that works so well? Yeah. So I think being clever about offers in this moment is really important. Like when we think about discounting, right, there's the traditional idea of saying like everything on my side is 25% off. Well, that has potential impacts that for a brand like his, who doesn't want to sort of be uh, ever seen as discounting, um, we came up with an offer that was free razors for a year. Um, and so we basically did the math on what that costs him to ship once a quarter, a pack of razors to his customer. Um, 
and what we would need the efficiency to be in order for that offer to make sense. And then we messaged it in a way that makes it feel like we're offering value to the customer. Um, so we're basically saying, hey, in the middle of this moment, make one purchase decision and never have to worry about it again. You have enough things to worry about. Take this off your mind. It's the best value we've ever offered. All these different things to create this message. And I'd be happy to even show some of those ads and even the landers or funnels in the show notes. Um, but it was it, fantastic for them. And now we're even working on a crazier offer of free blades for life. Like we're, we're continuing to figure out ways to come up with ways to message um, value to the customer in this moment um, without saying my product is cheaper than before. We're thinking about offering something of value. What if obviously a huge part of what you're saying is, is it makes sense if you can, if you, if you can position it well, if you yeah. can do it in a non-slimy way that helps people in this moment. And then also uh, if you can just think about it, if you can get creative and, and, and if you can get creative with your messaging right now, what if you've got somebody, a store owner who is, Man, they're they're knee deep in a PPP application. They've yep. you know they're working from home with three kids. They have a thousand other things on their mind, and they probably they're trying to stay afloat. And they probably do not, they probably do not have the time to, to rethink their marketing campaign right now. It's just they don't they don't have the bandwidth. In terms of just average CPA, when you think about those forces, more inventory, it's cheaper, but people are converting less. Is it? Are you in general without re? rejiggering all of your marketing, seeing CPAs, the cost to get a customer go up or down. So if somebody just turned on the campaigns that they had running a month ago, is it a good time to let those run or are they probably going to see suboptimal results? You, If you don't change the context and value proposition of your product for this moment now, you will not receive that benefit. We, unless, like, we have to acknowledge that we are, as a human species, this is a global experience in a completely different context than we were two weeks ago. The value proposition of your product today is not the same as it was three weeks ago, like for virtually any product. Um, we are just living a completely different life. And I would, I would make the case that, and I, that, that entrepreneur you just described, literally filling out a PPP with three kids at home. That's literally me. <laughs> um, uh, like, so I can empathize deeply with the amount of responsibility that we are all feeling right now. Um, I, so I do not take lightly the sense of like the statement to add another thing to anybody's plate. Like I hear you. But what I would say is that there is such a massive opportunity in win for you to figure out how, as a business, you speak to people and meet them where they're at. Like if we just move this to a human level, forget like Facebook arbitrage for a second. If you aren't changing the way that your brand speaks to your customers right now, I would call into question the focus of the business, period. Because yeah. the reality is we as human beings are having a different experience than we were three weeks ago. And you as a business can't speak the same as you were three weeks ago. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're talking live and airing tomorrow is a lot of times I'll bulk, uh, you know, I'll record for a month or two a bunch of podcasts and let them drip out. And oftentimes they stay relevant. But when, you know, in the middle of all this, if you air something that, uh, you know, that, that you recorded six weeks ago about, you know, the most important way to, to you know, give your employees great perks in the warehouse and at work, you know, it's right, going right. mean, it to come across like you're completely out to lunch, you know. I saw, so, I saw, there was a woman on Twitter, her name is Magdalena Kayla. She's a VC, like, like a force in this industry. And she was, she posted this whole teardown of an Everlane email thread, uh, email flow that she was sent um, selling her blazers. And she was just like, I'm there, I may never wear a blazer again. Like, you so miscommunicating with me in terms of who I am and what I'm going through. Um, 
the one of the best examples again i like to give the practical examples because you guys can go check it out um we work with a company called loom cube down in san diego and they are like i just love these dudes. they're hustlers they work their butts off um and their entire business was drone lighting camera lighting um they make a bunch of really rad portable lighting attachments and buried in their SKU set was they had this ring lighting um for um for like selfies basically and then for like remote work but it was their lowest scout selling skew up until two weeks ago if you go to their website right now you would think that they built a business to create lighting for the home but that is not true like if you go look at their website it didn't go go look in the way back way back machine three weeks ago what their website looked like and look at what it is now it looks like they created lights for you to run zoom calls but it's because they just figured out how to take their existing product and reframe it into the context of this moment. And they are smashing it. Like, and, and so I, I just think that over and over again, I see these examples of people that have found ways to reconsider. Now, I understand not everybody has that. I was on a webinar today with Drew. Um, is it Sanoki? Sanoki? I never say his name right. Who's a friend Sanoki. of yours, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's in the auto parts industry. Like, that's a whole different ballgame. We just aren't driving our cars. And so he's down dramatically. And there's no doubt, like if you're selling luggage, like Trey Sisson from Baboon to the Moon is one of my good friends. Like we've gotten to know a ton on Twitter. Like they sell travel bags. It's literally like their best selling product was the adventure go bag. Like we aren't going anywhere. So that's like, that's a real problem. And I understand that. Um, but we're, we're on a call and we're going through like, what SKUs does he have and how do we reframe them? And uh, how, what is the value proposition? Like we just, you just have to figure out how does your product fit into this new world we live in? Uh, what about, you know, the, the way people are consuming uh, digital, are shopping, uh, a lot, I mean, a lot of people are still probably using their, their phones, but I'm guessing yeah. the amount of desktop use for people that are just stuck at home has probably gone up. Uh, other shifts in terms of the ways that people, when they're not out and about as much, uh, how they, how they, you know, they digest information. Is there anything you need to think about when you're optimizing campaigns for desktop versus mobile targeting? Any yeah. other uh, things to think about on that? Or is Facebook's algorithm so so good at this point that it can adjust you know, in just a couple of days to the changes it sees? Um, so I don't have a lot of great data on this. I saw this on your question sheet in terms of mobile versus desktop usage. I think it's a great question. It's something I'd love to go check out. Um, in terms of the Facebook advertising side, we tend to be advocates of broad audience targeting and not a lot of specific targeting. So Facebook sort of does solve that on the front end. But one of the things I've been hearing, uh, so Ezra, again, another mutual friend of ours, he and I were, were chatting last night at a poker table. Um, and his community is basically all people over 55 is like at the core of his brand. Um, and there's a lot of really unique dynamics in terms of what they're dealing with um, relative to increased call volume, like through the roof mm. in terms of uh, call centers and experiences. And I've heard more about like, I would, one of the guys I was on a thing with today was talking about how in Belgium, like a lot of the older population is now beginning to come online. And so figuring out how to make interfaces simpler and help um, prepare FAQs that may be specifically towards those different use cases or things that I'm talking about, that I hear people talking about. Um, and there certainly is, like, if the premise is that more people are going to be buying online, then yeah, I think there's different demographics that we need to maybe consider that we didn't as much before. But I don't have a lot of great data to tell you, hey, yeah, desktop usage is significantly ramped up versus mobile or anything like that at this point. What about 
any meaningful, impactful long-term changes on Facebook or Google, I think. And, yeah. you know, we kind of talked about CPA depends on how, how you're positioning. I, I was reading some stuff you probably know better than I do, just in general, that CPA seems like, from what I saw, is, is, is you know, cost per acquisition and, and just advertising spend in general, aggregate-wise, has, go, has gone down a little bit. Yeah. Does this... Does this impact any, you know, any of the big tech guys at all long term? Or is the fact that like they're so entrenched, they have a, more or less monopolies on their respective spaces, they have more boatloads of cash than Scrooge McDuck, you know, like and then they just, you know, they have a rough couple quarters and they come back out of it. Do you see anything actually changing based on or is it too early to say or thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I have seen the success rate of you and Bill trying to uh, forecast the future macroeconomically, so I'm not sure I'm trying to get in that arena. But, um, <laughs> but Wait, what are you saying? What are you I'm saying, saying here, Taylor? I'm saying the rate wasn't 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 great. I don't know, but man, it's hard to say. So hey. obviously, <laughs> we're but, batting but, at least fifteen percent this year. I think down, hey, you know, up from like five. That's not bad, man. That's not bad. It's that's it's so freaking hard, man. I like who knows? I'm like. We were worried about if we're all going to be alive soon. Like, like the, you know, there's so many factors here that we're dealing with that it just seems hard. What I can say, again, going back to the principle of what you see is all there is, is that CPMs are down means Facebook's not making as much money. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, now, the question is, what are your relative advertising options? Um, and what I would say is that until there's a better alternative, that Facebook still will rise again as the market rises again. Now, um, Google is a place that is super fascinating to me right now as an area that if I was an advertiser or if I was somebody that was great at SEO would be in an environment I'd be more excited about than ever before because culturally, if you think about the amount of change that um, that has to be that has to happen for their SEO opportunity to be to create it. So search engine optimization. The opportunity gets created when there is high volume of search and low competition, right? So the problem with search in general is that eventually all the profits in a category get competed away. So if you look at, you know, sneakers, like the cost for a click on sneakers makes it so that nobody can really make a profit bidding on the keyword sneakers. But when you go through a fundamental cultural shift like this, like if you think about the search volume for something like Zoom lighting, okay, three weeks ago, there was functionally zero search volume for the phrase zoom lighting. Suddenly, there is a massive amount of search volume for this. Another thing would be like in garage workouts or ways to homeschool your kids during quarantine. Like there is suddenly a giant influx of search related to a whole new set of behaviors and terms that if you can get out in front of and begin to anticipate some of those, there are people that are going to make real money in a new land grab around SEO opportunities. Um, that like, This is one of the reasons that we went so aggressively after the coronavirus data that we published as an agency. And now we are on the first page of Google for e-commerce coronavirus. Like Trying to anticipate ways in which suddenly these behavioral changes are going to drive massive volume of search um, makes that environment really interesting for marketers in e-com right now. Yeah, this is. I feel like this is one of the most, from a news and a current event standpoint, it works really well. But another thing too is, is from just, even if we're in, you know, the July 2018, nothing crazy went on. Everyone right. always has new products coming out, uh, yep. and especially if there's, uh, if if you're reselling other people's products, I think probably one of the most underutilized marketing tactics, if you are reselling something, uh, that a big brand comes out with, 
right. is to, as soon as it comes out, even you know before it comes out, get a landing page up, do a blog post about it, build some yep. links, do some internal linking. We used to do that all the time with our products. And it doesn't, because it doesn't exist, there's the, the barriers to entry and the moat you have to get around from a link standpoint. And, and a, uh, it just, it's, it's tiny. It's 1%. And you can, yep. you can compete yep. on that much more quickly. So yes. Yeah. I was talking yeah. to a guy, I had a call with a business owner who runs, they have like basically these power, like powered, um, they raise up and down in their garage organization devices, right? So it's like you drill them oh, into yeah. your roof and they go up and down. And I was like, oh, my, like you, you are experiencing the absolute Super Bowl of marketing right now. Like every human being on earth is cleaning out their garage right now because we're all stuck at home. And so suddenly this product that was sort of like, middling demand, you know, driving along the business. And suddenly everybody is looking for products like this. And there's just so many little instances like that, that are so fascinating to me where people are just experiencing things that they'd like never anticipated and weren't prepared for that. It's just, it's just fast. It's a fascinating time, man. Yeah. Taylor, this has been uh, super interesting. I appreciate you guys, all your data on it and all your dedication to putting it out there. Talk a little bit about, uh, again, I mentioned at the top, but a little bit more in depth about Common Thread Collective, your agency, who you guys can help, and also about uh, admission. You have a really cool yeah. program. Uh, talk about both of those. Yeah. So we we love our ecosystem, um, which is the whole thing just exists to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. That's our passion. Um, we are entrepreneurs. So we have sort of three views into early stage um, consumer product e-com. Um, the first is 4x400, where we own and operate four of our own brands. Um, and so we are very much in this game trying to make decisions about inventory planning and purchasing and um, cash flow and all of that alongside all of you. Then we have the agency, so Common Thread Collective. We work with uh, consumer product e-com between 1 and 30 million. That's our core focus, helping them do everything from paid acquisition to retention to creative production. Um, and then admission is our sort of community group. Um, a la e-commerce fuel with a focus specifically on um, paid media. We do a lot of coaching and webinars and content and community. And we have about 200 um, entrepreneurs there that are earlier stage. So those are either sub a million dollars or sometimes they're internal marketing teams. I know like Bill and his team are all in there with us learning um, alongside our team. And so that gives us a really three unique angles into this world um, that we, we really love. And it makes us sort of empathetic to the process and get to engage with bunch of really cool people. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool what you've got going on over there. So commonthreadcollective.com, we'll link up to all those in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you, uh, you want to get some coaching and um, really chat with some people who know this stuff inside and out on the, the paid media side, uh, youradmission.co yep. is a site to check out there. So uh, Taylor, um, always One good talking. Thing. Oh yeah, go for it. Okay. So to answer the trend question too. So April 17th, the retail sales reports come out. Okay. So one of the big things that we are tracking is one, the overall decline in retail sales uh, in the U.S., and then two, the percentage penetration of e-com. So one of the big working theories we have, right, is that while we are most likely going to experience a pretty significant decline in the total retail sales volume in the United States, um, and to give context for like what, what a big decline would be, in 2008, the largest month-over-month -month decline <coughs> excuse me, in retail sales was 12.5%. So that like we're a big ship. It takes a lot to move the U.S. Uh, down dramatically. But let's say we experienced even 25%, which I don't believe will happen, but maybe it does. Let's say it was down that much. The question is, what was the increase in percentage of that pie that is e-commerce? So e-commerce at the end of Q4 was about 11.5%. About 
So if you see the e-commerce number get up to 15% or even 13 to 15%, um, then what's happening is that the overall volume of transactions that are happening on e-commerce is increasing even though the, the overall retail sales purchasing are down. And that's one of the big things that I think everybody's waiting to see that will happen here, which is how much does behavior of purchasing shift onto e-commerce? Um, I know that the SARS was a catalytic movement in China that ended up pushing a bunch of e-commerce onto or a bunch of purchasing online forever. But that's a big thing that I would encourage you all to check into um, and see what happens because that'll be a great indication of what's happening in terms of the volume of e-commerce. What's your, on the retail side, see, I know you said 25%. You don't think it's going to get that high. 20% seems, 20% maybe seems on the high side of feasible, but 20% seems like a fairly, because when you say retail, you mean like in-store, in-person going no, to. No, so I mean, tar- I mean all, so when I say retail sales, I mean all purchases of everything that, that, that gets considered. So e-com is part of that. Amazon's part of that. It's the entire sort of what it gets categorized as retail in the U.S. Um, consumer. So purchase. really just consumer spending in general for items yes. anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Interesting. Yeah. Any bet, any, I know you're a betting man because I've been playing some poker with you. Uh, what would your bet be on yeah, so, so we're going to see. So my theory is that like we're going to see somewhere between ten to twenty percent on the retail sales report, but we're going to see an increase. So, so if you think about what ecom would have to grow to make that up, if it's at eleven percent, oh. grow to grow twenty percent would only have to get to thirteen percent. I think we're going to. So my my theory is that ecom sales volume is up. That like we are we are processing more transaction volume at in ecom. And this is another thing. Like Ezra shared last night a little bit about the volume they're seeing on. Uh, one-click upsell is up dramatically. Like we are seeing more e-commerce volume, and I I feel confident in that, um, at least in the short term. But but the, the the move that e-commerce would have to make, given how much uh, how small it is, the relative pie would have to be you know probably ten x almost not quite, but no. close to ten x the movement. Yeah, to make up the whole pie, if if you were going to keep no it the think same. about this. No, like think about this. It, it just has to increase in excess of the relative decline, right? So if the pie goes down ten percent. But I increase my percentage of that pie twenty percent. My net volume is greater. Right. I guess my argument would be if you've got the entire pie, let's say retail. If retail goes, to, if the whole pie is a hundred percent, and yes. retail, so whole pie is a hundred percent. E-commerce is eleven percent of the big pie, right? Okay, so it's at eleven. So that equals eleven in volume. Right, eleven in volume. So one tenth of roughly one tenth of all of the sales of items and everything is, is e-commerce right now. Right. If the whole pie goes down by twenty percent. Right. If the whole pie goes down from 100 to 80, and e-commerce is a 10 to make up that gap, it's got to double. So, so if let's just do the math, okay? So, if it's at 100, percent we were at 11. So, let's say the volume of e-com was 11. You're saying it goes down to 80, okay? Yep. So, if I'm at 80, if I'm at 15 percent of 80 is 12, right? Right. Yep. So it only has to get to if there is that. So that's like again, that's the that's the difference in the increase, right? So if e-com gets to 15% of the pie, even if the total retail sales decreases, we win. And so all that has to happen is the penetration has to exceed the decline. Yeah, I see what you're saying. For e-commerce, yeah, I guess that I was arguing from the perspective if you wanted to keep it neutral, the amount of goods and you know the amount of products that were sold at that hundred level, e-commerce to keep everything no. neutral. No, no, I'm saying just off. the e- I, so I, like this is a very selfish viewpoint. I'm not saying that the whole pie is going to grow, but I'm uh, I'm saying okay. that e-commerce's portion of that pie, which is what all of our businesses now, a lot of people here have retail businesses, so I understand that. So I'm not saying so. Again, this is directly thinking about dot com revenue, which is 
what most of our clients are inclusive of, like that transaction volume is growing, not just a percentage, like volume is growing. I see what you're saying. Okay, guy. Well, it made for some good, uh, you know, slightly tense back and forth there for a minute. Yeah. yeah. I know someone uh, would like that. We'll have to send it over to him. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Taylor, uh, anything else to share before we, uh, we wrap this up, man? No, man, this is great. I, I just encourage people to keep sharing. Um, one of the things that I have a good friend, he, his name is Jonathan Pome, he runs Loop Returns, and he's been such a great sounding board for me because he, he has a different negative view on this. And one of the things I just keep encouraging people is if you're experiencing success, seek stories of suffering. And if you're suffering, seek stories of success because you are going to be so biased by your own personal experience. I know that I am. Um, and it is so helpful to get outside views that sort of give you additional context um, and are helpful for this. So that's what I would just continue to encourage everybody. Get as many viewpoints into this experience because it's so volatile and so different all over the place that it helps to uh, to give you a broader sense of what's going on. Yeah. Well, Taylor, appreciate it. Appreciate you and the team, uh, the CTC's team uh, in general, keeping us updated on this kind of stuff. And again, I'll link up to all of these uh, in-depth reports in the show notes. Show notes. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate you. That's going to do it for this week on the podcast. Uh, if you're listening, if you got through this far uh, in a in-the-weeds discussion about paid marketing and CPMs and CTRs and and you know, the, the, drink, you know, the growth and shrinkage of the retail pie, you probably are a, a nerd on the level of Taylor and I and would really love connecting with other like-minded e-commerce nerds uh, in the e-commerce fuel community. It's our community of a thousand plus that it's seven figure plus store owners. A lot of stuff going on right now. And if you want to learn more about the community and see if it's a good fit and potentially apply, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com. Again, a big thank you to the team at Clavio for making the show possible. Uh, to be a part of their COVID-19 survey and get insights daily on what's going on, head on over to clavio.com. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com and check out the little survey in the bottom right-hand corner. Really appreciate you listening, work hard and adventure often, and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.